If you are able to stand, I want to invite you to stand and see this passage, Revelation 19. We're, we're going to read, it's so important, I'm, I'm going to read all of it from verses 6 through 21. What I want you to see, though, right even before we start reading, is what, what we're looking at is the story of two suppers. The story of two suppers. If you look in verse 9, the first supper is described as the marriage supper of the Lamb. But then the second supper is very different. And you see it in verse 17. It's the great supper of God. And I want you to pay attention because you are going to be at one of these two suppers. And so am I. And so is everyone who has ever lived. Revelation 19, starting in verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's one supper, the supper of the lamb. Here's the great supper of God, starting in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds that direct, that fly directly overhead. Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings. The flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. 
And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet who in in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. If you ask me what is my earliest memory, um, I don't know what that could be, but I, I can tell you a very dominant memory that's really early on and really consistent um, for me as a child. And, and that was thinking, what's for supper? <laughs> I, I mean, I thought about it too much. You know, <laughs> I would be in school and just thinking about that hamburger at Jack in the Box. Or when I got in the car to drive home. That's what I was thinking about. What's for supper? Um, I remember asking one of my friend's daughters um, what what was her favorite part of of the week, and I thought she was going to list you know recess at school or her favorite subject or getting out of school or whatever, and her answer was lunch. I just thought that was hilarious. What's your favorite part of the week? Lunch. That is, and, I, and I said, I know, I understand what you mean. Meals are God's way of satisfying our hunger that we all feel. It, meals um, nourish our bodies. Meals extend our lives. And, but they also are this gift from God that strengthens our bonds with with the people that we love. I mean, think about any time that you would plan a celebration, you're going to answer a couple of questions. That is, who's coming? And secondly, what's for supper? Well, God has been walking us in the book of Revelation toward the end of this world that we live in. And last week, We said goodbye to the prostitutes. We said goodbye to that system of rebellion that seduces people away from devoting themselves to God alone. And today in Revelation 19, it's as if God is walking us into a fine dining restaurant. And the hostess comes up to you and comes up to me. And asks, will you be dining with us? Or will you be dying with them? That's the title of this sermon, Revelation 19, 6 through 21. Will you be dining with us? Or 
will you be dying with them? Let me summarize the sermon in a sentence. Christ is coming again. To serve us all. Christ is coming again. To serve. Us all. Will you be. Dining with us. Or will you be dying with them? I want to encourage you. Throughout this passage. To consider this most important question. Where am I? With the server. Of both of these suppers. Where are you with Jesus Christ? Because it will make all the difference. He tells us in verses 6 through 10, point number one, Christ serves a feast to his bride. Christ serves a feast to his bride. I, I, I feel kind of emboldened now that we sang that Christmas song. Let me try something, some Easter out on you. Beloved, Christ is risen. Amen. Thank you. You don't know what to say when I say this next thing. So let me just tell you, when I say this next thing, say he is coming again. He is coming again. Listen, beloved, Christ is coming again. Amen. Christ is coming again. Verses six through eight to wed his people to wed his people. I don't know about you, but I have uh, been to some posh weddings in, in my day. I, I went to one. I remember in Marble Falls that that ended with um, fireworks um, a fireworks display that was just for this wedding that was going off on this canyon. It was really magnificent to see. Uh, I even got to um, go once to an, uh, an arranged marriage Indian wedding that was really interesting and had um, there was no expense spared. Um, and I was too immature and young to appreciate all the tastes and the colors, but I was there. Um, I've been to weddings uh, where there were ice sculptures that were really impressive and chocolate fountains. Um, but my favorite wedding was my wedding. We didn't have a bar. Uh, we didn't have a band. We didn't have a meal. Um, we had a simple service. We had a humble reception. Uh, and my bride was there. And I think back on that and I'm just amazed 21 years later, she's kept her promises to me from back then. And she's done what I would have thought was impossible back then on that day. She's become more beautiful all these years later. And beloved, Christ has a bride. Christ has a bride. His bride is the people here in, in verse 6 described as this multitude that we've seen 
in the book of Revelation, this multitude from every nation, too many for anyone to ever count. This is his bride, the people who trust the Lord Jesus Christ and who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're seeing here again, right after what we saw last week in the judgment of God's enemies, what we see every single time we have looked at a vision of judgment in the book of Revelation, the same thing happens again and again, and that is his people seeing His people sing when the enemies are judged. Look in verse 6. This multitude cries out with this roar of joy. Hallelujah. The Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Now, in a way that we couldn't ever have seen it or experienced to the same degree before. Now that he's just... One by one, taking away all his enemies and everything that would threaten us to keep us away from him. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has finally come. Once he removes all of his enemies in this, these terrible judgments, beloved, we will be with him. And so we will rejoice. When Kelly and I started dating, I I learned right away, this girl is different from all the rest. Still know it. I'm sorry. The Lord's given us great ladies in this church. Ain't nobody like my lady. And, and, and I just learned it right away um, when when we started dating. And I, I would uh, I was aware that that one thing about girls is they need forever to get ready. And so you got to give them an, you got to give them a head start. You got to give them an, you know, a heads up. If, if you're going to ask them on a date, Kelly was so cool. I mean, this stood out to me from the very early days. Whenever I asked, when can you be ready? She always would say whenever. And I, she kept doing this. And so I, I would start to test her and I'd say, well, fine, I'll be there in 10 and I'd show up and she was stunning every single time. It was like she was born ready. You know what Christ's bride is doing right now? What we as a church, the picture is what we're doing right now is getting ready for that day. It says in verse 8 and verse 7, she is She has made herself ready. And yet, uh, none of us was born ready. And and when you read the the words that we are making ourselves ready for the wedding to the the Lamb, uh, don't think it's just based on what we have done. Look in verse 8 how it says that Christ's bride has made herself ready, but really... Um, It was granted to her this gown that she wears at the at the wedding. In other words, she is made ready as a gift. From the the groom himself. He's the one who gives her this. Dress that is bright and pure and white. And I think that that. The fact that it's a gift is why our groom is called in this verse a lamb. A lamb. 
Beloved, if you're anything like me, um, you've got a countdown clock. Just watching the days like I was until the day of my wedding. If you're anything like me, you'll be that way toward our wedding feast with Christ. And and along the way, don't ever forget how it is that he proposed to us. He was not bending down on one knee with flowers like I was, with a ring like I was. He was hands and feet nailed to a cruel cross. He was despised and he was rejected by his own people. He was mocked by the godless people who were killing him. He was abandoned by nearly every single one of the people who made promises to him. But Jesus knew this was coming. In fact, when he described why it is that he came, he said, I came to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. Our groom is a sacrificial lamb. And he bore the fury of God's wrath for the people that he loved. But don't ever forget, we were not lovely. We were not born ready for him. We, we did not live ready to be with him. We, we, the bride, now we know we were naked with all of our ugly sin and selfishness exposed in his sight. And he came and he died for us anyway. He died so that he might clothe us in this white, bright, pure, Clothes, the kind of clothes that only virgins deserve on their wedding day. And he's going to present us to himself. This wonderful groom. Beloved, that is how he proposed. Beloved, this is our groom. And beloved, he has conquered. He didn't just die. He rose from the dead. And he has washed us now clean. His death and resurrection are so powerful. They've changed us so that we who were ugly in our sin and our selfishness have really changed. So that now at the end of verse eight, it says that we are now making ourselves ready by the righteous deeds that we are committing ourselves to living for. And, 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 and when This vision is given to the Apostle John. Then an angel says in verse 9, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Write it down and know forever this is true. You want to know what it means to be blessed. Well, you might be thinking, like I am How blessed it is to marry the right person. (laughs) But even better than that. 
is those who are invited to the marriage supper of this Lamb. Beloved, will you be dining with us? I'm asking you, will you be there? Just understand, you are not the bride. And I am not the bride. Okay? It's no individual Christian that is the bride. We are the bride. It's the church that he died for. It's the church that he's making ready. And yet there's still a sense in which we, together as the church, will make ourselves ready as long as each one of us is making ourselves ready. Now, grooms aren't allowed to know what the, the brides are doing on the, the day of the wedding. It's some big secret. And I guess half of y'all maybe know what this is, but I'm imagining they're getting ready by getting their makeup did and their hair did and someone's got to help her with the dress, whatever. But we are told very clearly how it is we get ready. What we're to do to make ourselves ready is through righteous deeds. See that? Christ shed his blood for the unrighteous that we would sin no more and devote ourselves to righteousness. Righteous deeds are the dress. This is going to be corny. Just get ready. I want to encourage you to say yes to the dress. Say yes to the dress, beloved. Because it's a sign that you're going to be dining with us. If you love the groom. And you are so eager to be with him. That you choose righteousness for the rest of your life. That you fill your days with choices to fear him and honor him and not to fear man. That you and I fill our, our days with choices to not put personal pleasure first. But instead, we, we deny ourselves and figure out whatever it is that pleases God, even if that means me continuing to suffer and go through hard relationships and being mistreated, that's what I'm going to do. It's choosing righteous deeds that is our way of saying we want to be there at this supper where we put private prosperity the way that the whole world just lives to build up their bank accounts, to have nice things and to do fun stuff. We sacrifice that and we live with generosity because we know that is what honors God. And that's what reflects what our rich savior, the son of God, do, did in being made poor to make us rich. Beloved. Sundays are our dress rehearsal, aren't they? This is where the bride is shown. The bride comes together. And we remind one another what it means to be righteous, what it means to follow the king.
This is what it means to be a disciple, to learn to obey, to help one another to obey all that Christ commanded. Say yes to the dress. And commit yourself to righteous deeds because we're so thrilled that Christ is coming again and can't believe he's going to serve us again. Well, at this point in verse 10, even the apostle John gets mixed up. He starts to fall down and worship this angel who's showing him this feast and the angel corrects him and says in at the end of verse 10, you must not do that. I may be showing you everything you've actually wanted. And I know you're tempted to worship me because I come with this good news and you have resisted the prostitute and you're so excited then to be married to the groom. But I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers. We all are just holding to the testimony of Jesus. We're all just meant to worship God. The spirit of prophecy, he says, is the witness of Jesus. In other words, listen, everything that God has ever said in this entire book has been pointing toward worshiping Jesus and no one and nothing else. Beloved, Christ has come the first time to serve us by giving his life as a ransom for us. And he's coming again. Amen. And he's coming to serve us again as his bride. But Christ is coming again to do something else. He's coming to serve everyone else. Will you be dining with us? Or dying with them? The rest of everyone outside of the bride are not just on the guest list. They're on the menu. This is a really graphic picture of what Jesus is going to come again and do to his enemies. He is going to serve a feast to his bride, but secondly, in verses 10 through 21, Christ serves the rest to the birds. He serves the rest to the birds. When you think of Jesus Christ, I wonder what is the image that pops into your head? You know, God spends the whole Bible giving us images of how great Jesus Christ is because no one image fully captures just how wonderful the Lord Jesus is. And we've been given this morning a picture of he is a groom. But that's not the last image he gives. If you're not among his people, the rest of humanity, small and great, slave and free, everyone who has been deceived and into worshiping the 
mark of the beast. That is, everyone whose head, whose thoughts are really more shaped by the devil's lies, and everyone whose hands, whose choices and actions are more shaped by the devil's way of life. Well, Jesus is someone else to those people. He's not a groom. Verses 11 through 16. Look closely. At who is coming again. And I want to just remind you whether we dine or whether we die all depends on our relationship with this one. So look closely. Verse 11. Christ is on a white horse. And that's to signify to us he's the good guy. And if you look in verse 14, everyone in the armies of Jesus is also on a white horse. They are the good guys, which means that the rest, everyone else, no matter how nice a neighbor they were to you, no matter how nice a grandmother they were to you, Everyone who is not totally devoted to the Lord Jesus is on the side of the bad guys. Lord Jesus is called in verse 11, faithful and true. That means he only ever does what God wants him to do. He's faithful and he's true and he's true in in every single thing that God wants him to do. And that includes at the end of verse 11, making war. And judging verse 12, his eyes are flaming. That means that when he looks at us, he exposes every dark thing that we have hidden. And he brings to light what every single person truly thinks about God. He has many diadems or crowns. Whenever Jesus was raised from the dead, you remember what he said right before he ascended into heaven? He said, all authority has been given to me. I mean, he. Think about this. He faced death. And he's still undefeated. He's like a conqueror who just takes crown after crown after crown. No one can beat him. We're told an awful lot about Christ. You know enough. Right now, you know enough. But but there will also be things about him that we don't get to know. He has a name that only he knows of himself. Verse 13, he's clothed in, in a robe that is dipped in blood. This is the way God, God speaks about his son, that because he was judged on the cross by sinners and he was judged in the place of sinners, then he's the only one qualified to judge now. He's got a level of experience that no one else has, and he is going to judge those who will not take his blood. And trust his blood. That he's the only one to get them to God. He will judge them. 
He's called again in verse 13, the word of God. That's the first way that this author, John, described him, isn't it? In his gospel, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was God and the word was with God. That was Jesus Christ in the beginning, who God was doing everything that he's ever done through. Christ is the word that made everything. He is the word that sustains everything right now. He's even sustaining the life of all of his enemies until this day when they'll face him at war. Verse 15, look in his mouth, his tongue is razor sharp. And what that is telling us is that he's going to judge everyone by his word. It's telling us all he has to do is speak and all his enemies will die. And it's telling us that all his enemies are going to die because they failed to live up to his word. They failed to worship him. And then we get this really graphic image. The winepress of the fury of God's wrath. Y'all remember that in chapter 14? This is the way John is is revealing to us. In chapter 14, whenever God was talking about one day, the winepress will be trodden outside the city and blood will flow from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia. Y'all remember that image? We were told that there is a day coming. I mean, imagine that winepress again in the middle of our town. All the grapes, which in this image is people who are filled with blood. That wine press being in the middle of our town square. And what we're being told here is he is going to be the one who steps on them. It is Jesus Christ who will step on the bodies of enough rebels for blood to spill out from here west all the way to Lubbock. From here north all the way to Oklahoma City. From here east all the way to Tyler. From here south all the way to Austin. And the blood that will be spilling out of all of Jesus' enemies. It's described here. It will be high enough to drown a horse. That's who Jesus is. And that's what he's coming again to do. And then... When it says in verse 16, he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. They're reminding us of what we saw at the end of chapter 17 when we were told that God is going to allow the beast and the false prophets to persuade all of the enemies of God and he will make a way to put them on a battlefield. And this is where we're told it's Jesus Christ who is going to conquer every one of them. There are friends of Jesus Christ and there are enemies of Jesus Christ. 
And you can think about being a friend of Jesus Christ, like from this passage, being engaged to him as if you're someone who you only have eyes for him. But I don't assume that every single person in here is a friend. I want you to consider, will you be dining with us or will you be dying with them? C.S. Lewis once said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. He said, a baby feels hunger because there is such a thing as food. And a duck wants to swim because there is such a thing as water. That the desires that we have in our heart are are pointing toward the reality that they can be satisfied. And then he said, if if I find myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most obvious explanation is that I was made for another world. Or you could say that the one to meet that desire is outside of this world. And I wonder. If anyone here is not devoted to the Lord Jesus, you've been resisting him. Have you not come to realize nothing is going to satisfy the things that you're trying to get satisfaction from? But that those desires in you are pointing to the reality that there is someone who can meet your desires. And so in Revelation, the whole world is going after a prostitute. Because of what she offers. But then we're told that there is a groom. Who is loving. And sacrificial. And protective. And I want to tell you there is room for you at the feast. If you want to be saved. If you want to turn away from. All these things that you know are vain and worthless and empty. Would you come to Jesus Christ? Turn from your sins and trust in him. And you will be part of his bride who feasts with him. I I would love to talk to you after the service if you would like to talk about what that means. You're probably sitting around all kinds of people who can talk to you about it. So you can ask them as well. But don't leave today just waiting for this to happen to you. Saying no to Jesus has the highest consequences you can possibly imagine. Verses 17 through 21. Look who's coming to this supper. The birds are coming To this supper, verse 17, I saw an angel standing in the sun and with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come gather vultures, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, flesh of captains, flesh of mighty men, flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great there. Birds are coming to dine and the rest of humanity are coming to die. This meal 
um, that Jesus is serving is gruesome. And friends, it's really quick. This is not a tough battle for the Lord Jesus. He conquers them immediately. The beast shows up on the battlefield and he's gone. The false prophet is, shows up, the one who's deceived the whole world into worshiping the devil. He shows up on the battlefield and he's gone. And every single person in the army, kings, slave, free, small, great, all the enemies of Jesus show up and we're told immediately they're conquered. All gone in a moment. Christ is coming again to serve all his enemies to the birds. Will you be dining with us? Or will you be dying with them? I want to give us one, one more encouragement. And, and I hope that this is a very practical way that you can live in light of what we see here. And, and that is, I want to encourage you to dine together. To dine together. How is it that we can get ready for this feast that is coming? For Christ who is coming again to serve us again. Uh, let me encourage you, if you're not in the habit Yet of setting aside one specific day of the week to have people into your home and to dine together. Let me encourage you to do that. It could be Sunday to make it part of Lord, the Lord's Day or, or whatever it is. But dine together and plan something and protect it because we actually want to be here. And we don't want to be at the other supper. And one man once uh, said that every time we gather with other Christians in order to eat, we are making a declaration that evil and death, suffering and loss, sorrow and tears will not have the final word. I'm not saying that your meal has to be lavish. It can be simple. But let's dine together, beloved, because we need to remind one another our king is coming. You know, we've got all kinds of reminders all around us in this Pride Month. We've got all kinds of suggestions all around us from the devil that evil is winning, that darkness is gaining a hold, that Christians have no power and no hope. Beloved, our king is coming again. And he's going to give us joy. And let me close with this. Beloved bride of the king. Invite others to come down. Dine with us. I mean those who are currently on the outside. Jesus once described this banquet that he was going to host. And yeah, you're going to talk to a lot of people and make invitations and they're going to have all kinds of excuses not to come and that's okay. But Jesus said, go out to the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame, the people who are longing for a savior and compel them to come in. Tell them there's room for them.
because he wants his house filled. So those people you know who aren't bowed now to the king, invite them. Because if they don't bow now, they're going to die then on a field. Christ is coming again. How will he serve you? Lord Jesus, we pray that you would take your word and that you would make it powerful. God, I can't do anything good for these people but talk about you. But you've got to come. You've got to come and you've got to make this word true and real to them. God, may we be a bride that brings you honor and glory. May we make ourselves ready by devoting ourselves to righteousness. May we encourage one another that one day our king is going to come. May we invite others and compel them to come with us. We pray all this for the glory of our king. Amen.